What's up, everybody? You're listening to No Co Cinema here on WGM Plus. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago and all around the world. I'm your host, Tom Hush, and normally this is the point where I would introduce my co-host, Connor Cornelius, but he's unfortunately not able to make it this week. But lucky enough, I found a fantastic replacement. Uh, she is a producer here at WGN, and she is also the host of her own podcast called Lease FM. You can find that over on SoundCloud and definitely find it on Facebook. It's a fantastic show. She's interviewing the most interesting people, talking to them about their influences. And it's not just like one type of person. It's not just musicians. It's not just filmmakers. It's all types of people and all the things that influence them. So give a big NoCo Cinema welcome to Lise Graham. Thank you. Oh, oh, so I glad you could be welcomed. here. How's it oh. going? Oh, it's pretty good. Pretty good. Um, thank you so much for doing this. Dude, happy to. I was so excited when you asked me to jump on. Yeah. Um, and I hope I can uh, fill Connor's shoes. Oh, no doubt. I think uh, I think you're more than capable of doing All so. Right, I'm more than capable. Uh, before we get into our coming soon segment, how about I gave a little brief thing about Lisa FM, but could you just tell me, tell everybody Lisa FM, give me the elevator pitch. Well, it started with uh, this this local music show that I hosted back in Champaign when I went to school there. My favorite question to ask these local bands was, what are your influences? And, you know, they'd answer whatever. David Bowie is awesome. And uh, I listened to a lot of, like, Incubus when I was in middle school. <laughs> and I was like, me too. Um, but then that was kind of it. And then I'd be like, what's your songwriting process? But that's just kind of like everybody's. It's, this, you know, it's a lot of the same sure. answers there. And there are new bands and stuff. So my idea was I wanted to kind of get the narrative going by talking about what they've been raised on because nothing's original as no. we see in film today absolutely <laughs> Nothing is hey original. and you know great artists steal great exactly. artists steal they know where their influences are i mean i literally just watched a great video on youtube about how uh without uh, the films of akira kurosawa we basically wouldn't have star wars or anything like that exactly. star wars is just a samurai film in space yep. and it's still good so um yeah influences <laughs> are important lease is an expert on finding out people's influences uh what are your tastes in film? I just want just it generally. It doesn't need to be anything too like, specific. Well, I guess you know, like love Woody Allen. I, I I guess I'd be more like you know Wes Anderson. I'm very of that uh, variety. Of, you know, very like I don't want to say hipster, but the, the and, kind of indie darling yes, sort of look and feel. Twee, but there is nothing wrong with that. Love it. Yeah. Um, but I also you know I also love uh, love me some Quentin Tarantino. Sure. Um, and I'm a big fan of, like, Wayne's World. I, when people ask me what my favorite movie is, I say Wayne's World because it's just <laughs> the perfect movie. Um, it really is. It uh, really is. Yeah. I, I just – I love any movie with, like, a good soundtrack. Um, so, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, great. Have you seen great Baby stuff. Driver Baby yet? Baby Driver. I was, I was, like, hoping that we'd talk about Baby Driver because, yes, I, I did. I have not seen it. <gasps> Dude. But, like, without spoiling anything – how I'm a huge fan of Edgar Wright too. Yeah. I'm a big oh, Edgar Wright person. Sure. But uh, what I mean, just briefly, yes. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> definitely, everybody should go see that. Um, it's it's pretty great. the uh, The way I found out about it, I don't know how I hadn't heard of it, but I listened to Comedy Bang Bang um, pretty religiously, yeah. and uh, so uh, John Hamm and Edgar Wright were on. Comedy Bang Bang. Did you hear that episode? I did not. The oh, last God. one I listened to with any of those guys, it was uh, from way back, I think when The World's End came out, 
mm-hmm. and it was Nick Frost, Simon Pegg, and Edgar Wright. Yeah. And I was it was probably the greatest episode of that podcast Dude. I've ever heard. I was in tears. Yeah. So I can only imagine Edgar well, Wright and John John Hamm is hilarious. I oh, mean, yeah. I didn't realize, because you know, I've only ever really seen him as Don Draper. So sure. he is like, he totally buys into the whole wacky comedy bang bang <laughs> scene. But so they're talking about this movie and Scott Ackerman kept saying like, Oh, is this the sequel to Boss Baby? <laughs> and I was like, what is this movie? <laughs> but as they started talking about it, obviously, I was like, oh, shit, that sounds awesome. Yeah. So that's like, I feel like you can make a, if you were going to make a trilogy out of movies with that and like just taking the title. So it would be, first one is Boss Baby, yep. Baby Driver, and then Drive. Yep. So <laughs> it's just the story of a baby who comes up in the world and becomes, you and know, turns from a cartoon. Into With a Alec murderous voice, <laughs> and to a murderous existential driver. Exactly. Oh With boy! With a great soundtrack in the middle. Exactly. There. But no, all yeah. three great soundtracks. Yes. I don't know if you've seen Boss Baby. Uh, great soundtrack. <laughs> I left that one halfway through. Actually. Oh my gosh! I thought it. Was, I thought it was okay. I thought it was not too we, bad. Um, we were not into it. Like. It was cute for the first like twenty minutes, and the baby mm. started talking. Which I knew the baby was going to start talking, but I don't know why. I was just I looked at my boyfriend, and they're like, so I pulled up Fandango, and the Disney's like Made in China, the one about all like the cute panda babies and stuff yeah. that was starting like ten minutes after. So we're like, and you're just like, just <laughs> dip. So we. Did. Good that, idea. I think that's like the first movie I've ever left early, though. No kidding, I I yeah. walked out of Batman versus Superman. Ooh. Yeah, I didn't I was, even go near that. Mm, How, you uh you really saved yourself yeah. about 1350, you know. Yeah. Um I took my younger brother to see it and I mean we're com- we like comic book movies. I'm not too deep into comic book culture, so I was just like, you know, I really I really enjoy Batman. I like Superman. Yeah. Let's watch them fight. And uh it was just terrible. It was probably one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Um really disappointed with it. But Wonder Woman came out you know, oh, so that's always so good. good. They saved it. Yeah. Love Wonder that. Woman's fantastic. Love that one. Uh, so we're going to be talking about our coming soon segment here. So this is just a little hodgepodge of news, what's going on here in the film world, Chicago, all around the world. But most of the stuff is coming out of Hollywood because Hollywood, even though it is on the downturn, uh, it's still where a lot of big stuff is coming from. So uh, first story here, a disability rights group is slamming the new Alec Baldwin movie for treating disability as a costume. So Alec Baldwin is starring in a new film called Blind, where he plays a novelist who loses his wife and his sight in a car wreck. And the Ruderman Family Foundation, which is an advocacy organization for disability rights, is criticizing the movie heavily, uh, specifically for casting Alec Baldwin, a man who is decidedly not blind, for playing a blind character. Uh, Quote from Jay Ruderman, who is the foundation's president, he said that Alec Baldwin in Blind is just the latest example of treating disability as a costume. If we no longer find it acceptable for white actors to portray black characters, disability as a costume needs to also become a universally unacceptable you know, thing. So it's kind of an interesting problem because when you're an actor, you're inherently playing someone that you are not, who might have certain qualities that you don't have. However, are we using disability or even, you know, in the past and sometimes still today, race, gender, uh, sexuality as a costume? What do you think, Lise? Damn. I mean, and, and there's a lot of layers to this. Absolutely. Um, and I I watched the trailer, um, which was 
Uh, I mean, I don't know. It doesn't look like particularly good. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it's kind of just like, okay, why? Why? You know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Um, but they referenced Me Before You, um, that, that like, rom-com about, like, the guy in the wheelchair. Um, yeah, with Sam, by, Ka- yeah. Uh, Sam Claflin. Yeah, 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 that's right. Um, which was... I did see that. Yeah. <laughs> and and what was the verdict? I mean, I cried, but I didn't like that I was like. No. <laughs> it, it was, it you was, were crying and was, you were just mad at yourself. You would have left, I think. I don't think you probably would have. You, well, you didn't go, so. No. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a weird, it's a slippery slope for sure. Because it's like, well, why aren't you giving blind actors that role? But then I say that and I'm like, can I think of a blind actor yeah off the bat it's kind of a catch it seems like a catch-22 yes. of sorts because you can't have you know if if we're gonna say you know we should cast people with specific disabilities in those roles but at the same time are those by having that disability are you then limited to only playing people with that disability like can blind actors find themselves only playing blind characters. Right. So Yeah, you get in the whole typecast yeah. deal then. But I appreciate the concern because there are actors out there that do have disabilities that shouldn't be discounted just because they have a disability. And, you know, it seems like the obvious choice, like, to give them work by just casting them as, you know, someone with that disability. You know, I yeah, it's I, it was the same thing um, with the Danish girl and Eddie Redmayne about a trans oh, a trans right. woman yeah. who and Eddie Redmayne again decidedly not a trans woman. Um, should you be giving more trans actors these roles? Right. Yes. Yeah. However, we do need to keep in mind that actors will sometimes have to play people that they are not. It's a it's a very empathetic art. And uh, I guess this whole thing is just about walking uh, a fine line. Yeah. I mean, I think I wonder if I knew more about like Alec Baldwin's preparation for the role, maybe it would be more, you know, if you really like respected the whole, you know, and like really studied it and, and was trying to raise a awareness. But it's awareness, like, what, do you, yeah. what, what are you? No. What are you? Raising awareness. I want. Yeah, I don't. I want to know why they felt like Alec Baldwin is the man to be in this movie. We need Alec Baldwin. I know, right? I saw him on SNL playing Trump, and you know what? He would be great as a blind man. man. Uh, He a novelist who is a blind a blind novelist. Yeah, I feel like this could have been a bet an opportunity for um a studio to just take a risk here. But studios don't like risks. They like big bankable stars. Yeah. Alec Baldwin, for whatever faults he may have, is still a bankable star. I guess it makes sense. I guess it yeah. makes sense to just put him in. This is something that happens all the time. They look over up-and-coming you know, uh, actors just to put in people that they feel that they can rely on. You know, look at the mummy. They put Tom Cruise in there for virtually no reason <laughs> other than it's, it's Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Um, more casting problems as well coming from TV here. Um, CBS, who you may know as uh, one of the largest broadcasting corporations in America, uh, they've got their revival of Hawaii Five O. It's been very successful. It's on uh, season eight, I believe, at this point, which is shocking to me that a revival of Hawaii Five-0 would be on season eight, but 
nonetheless, it's a very, very popular show. But they've had some casting trouble with uh, the actors that they cast originally, Daniel Day Kim and Grace Park, who have been integral parts to the show. Um, Is he the guy from Lost? Yes. Yeah, Yeah, Daniel Day Kim. Um, Jin and he, he was Jin and yeah. his wife was soon and he was fantastic and um, from the little of the show that I have watched he's he does a good job everybody yeah, just kind of sure. does a good job but what the problem is is that uh, Daniel Day Kim and Grace Park are leaving the show now because of pay disparity um, they are not getting paid as much oh. as their co-stars uh, Alex O'Laughlin and Scott Kahn they are they're getting paid way more and they're just like, you know, we cannot put up with this. We're being paid. We're integral parts of the show. They have been with it from the beginning. Why can't we get the same pay or at least similar pay, a bump in pay for uh, for this show? And it comes down to um, a lot of people are saying it's disrespect of Asian-American actors or Asian actors in general that they're not getting roles and when they do get roles they're getting so much less uh, earlier this year we dealt with um, Ghost in the Shell which was very much uh, criticized for casting Scarlett Johansson in the role of a Japanese you know you could have put a Japanese woman yeah, there right. um, you know last August the then CBS Entertainment Chief Glenn Geller acknowledged that the network needed to address their lack of diversity. Oh, we need to do better. We need to do this. And still all six of CBS's new fall shows for the 2016-2017 season were top-lined by white men. And uh, Hawaii Five-0 is no different. Um, they Why can't you? Do, these people are series regulars. Give them the pay. <laughs> what the heck? It's just, I, don't, I honestly don't even watch anything on network tv no. anymore what would i watch on network tv crazy ex-girlfriends on fox but but i I only watch it on netflix yeah wait <laughs> till the whole season comes yeah out. well maybe that's their know. maybe that's their problem they're um you know they're out of money at this yeah, point netflix exactly. has taken all the money uh something worth noting though is the complication to this story as uh you know I, I believe that people should be paid as equally as possible, but there is a question of in the casting process, some people are, you know, leading characters, main characters, right. and some that people. Was my next question. Yeah. Um, Daniel Day Kim and uh, Grace Park are both technically supporting cast members to the leads, which does explain some of CBS's hesitation in bringing, bringing them up to pay parity with number one on the call sheet which is McLaughlin, and number two, which is Scott Kahn. So that's that's always a thing you have to consider because actors are very particular about call sheets. Yeah. Like, if you're number one on the call sheet, you get, like, you do not, uh, people do not show up before you. Like, you get there, you get to be there first, you get to be the one who gets called first, you're listed first I in the credits. I what that meant. Okay. Yeah, call sheets are in, incredibly – well, to, I, I don't want to paint with a broad brush with all actors, but a lot of actors are very uh, particular about where they are on the call sheet uh-huh. because that's like a prestige thing. And it says to all the other actors, hey, I'm more important than you. I got cast in the lead role yeah. or a lead role. But um, I think this this all just speaks to a bigger problem with how diversity is handled in you know Hollywood, in – the industry, things of that nature. 
I mean, wouldn't you like to see more diverse casts? Yeah, like, I mean, like, I don't know. And I, I I think of shows like Insecure, which is one of my favorite shows. Have you watched yeah, it? Yeah, that's, that's on HBO, correct? Yeah, it's an HBO. Very funny. Uh, oh, my God, it's so funny. And actually, the next season's coming out, like, in the next couple weeks. So, yes. so excited. Um, and, you know, Master of None, it's done really well. Um, and it's just like, yeah, why don't we have more of that? I mean, it's like, yeah. clearly it's... Clearly it works. It works. I think as as pe- people our age get older and have more of a an upper hand in like you know those casting those, decisions yeah. and things like that. We'll I mean get, that's get that's better. how that's how progression happens is the older people. Yeah. They kind of move retire. on. Yeah, they retire, <laughs> quote unquote. All right. Uh, next up, we're going to be talking to, well, I'm going to be talking to uh, Mr. Mark Caro. He is a former Tribune writer, wrote for Arts and Entertainment for the Tribune for over 20 years. And now he's doing this awesome screening series at the Music Box called Is It Still Funny? Where he looks at comedy films of the past, shows them, and then leads a discussion afterwards. And we try to figure out... Is it still funny? Is Animal House still funny? Is Groundhog Day still funny? I don't know. We got to see him again. Gives us a chance to reconsider those comedy films. We'll be talking to him next in our feature presentation segment. Uh, This is No Coast Cinema here on WGM Plus, your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago and all around the world. Back in just a bit. Welcome, everybody. You are listening to No Coast Cinema here on WGM+. I'm your host, Tom Hush, and we are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago and all around the world. Uh, Right now, we're getting into our feature presentation segment. This is where we talk to people here in the city of Chicago who are involved in the film community, who are making films, writing films, or showing films, for that matter. Uh, We talk to a lot of people who are doing cool screenings around the city and showing off uh, some of the best that cinema has to offer. Right now, we're going to be talking to Mr. Mark Caro. Now, Mark Caro was a writer, entertainment, and culture for the Chicago Tribune. He did that for more than 20 years, covering music, film, theater, comedy, and the visual arts. He has profiled such figures as Yo-Yo Ma, Jennifer Hudson, Tom Cruise, Woody Allen, and Steven Spielberg. But right now, we're going to be talking to him about Is It Still Funny?, Now, this is a screening series at Chicago's Historic Music Box Theater, and he puts on some uh, supposedly timeless comedy, and he puts it to the test, and then leads a post-screening discussion so we can all deliver the verdict, is it still funny? The next screening is going to be of The Birdcage, starring Robin Williams and Gene Hackman, and that's on Sunday, July 16th. Thank you so much for coming on, Mark. We Thank really you so much it. for having me. This is great. Yeah, it's uh, it's a great series. Is it still funny? And I think it's a question that uh, not enough people really ask themselves about their favorite comedies. They just kind of accept it. Like, oh, this is a funny right. movie. Until you're sitting around at home and you flip on it on cable and you're sitting alone on your couch. And then you're just not laughing and you're like, oh. Then you start worrying. Like, wait a minute. Was my taste bad? Has my taste changed? Was this not as funny as I thought it was? So this is it's really kind of an excuse to show these comedies in a really fantastic setting because if you watch The Godfather at home which I did recently it's The Godfather it's a fantastic movie but if you watch 
you know, Monty Python, the Holy Grail at home, or you see it at the music box with a couple hundred people, a few hundred people in there laughing, it's just different. Comedies work better in an audience. They work better at a theater, especially one of the older theaters where it's not all kind of sloped and, uh, you know, you don't have – it's just people are next to each other. And it's just it's just the best circumstance for seeing a film. And you really can sort of assess – how it, something holds up or not. And then there are the films themselves, and there is that question of is it still funny and are the things that made me laugh then things that make me laugh now? Do they make me cringe now? Are there parts of it that do one or the other? So it's been a really fun series to do and interesting too. And we're so glad we're able to reconsider these movies. Now, Where? what was the origin of this idea? When did you think... I, oh, it's man. time to look at these movies again. I thought this I wanted to do this for a really long time and we we tried doing it when I was at the Tribune and it just sort of never for whatever reason logistically it just never worked out um, but I just I just always wanted to do it and part of it is just that feeling of when you show I mean I have two girls at home and I showed them Return of the Pink Panther and I just remember this was just the funniest movie when I saw that I just was laughing so hard at Inspector Clouseau flying through the air you know trying to kick you know Cato and I'm showing it to the girls and we're sitting on the couch and it was you know they're like uh... and then there's just these long slow stretches and I thought man you know comedies are so paced so differently now there's just like a different rhythm to it and I feel like you can learn a lot about comedies and movies but just like again, action movies also they, they've changed a lot, but comedies in particular it's such a snapshot of what we found funny at the time and where we were as a culture and I don't know, I just I love to go back and see this stuff, plus you know I love comedies, and again the idea of seeing it in the theater and then keep getting people to talk about it afterwards and having sort of a community built around appreciating comedies is great, you know, comedies in our culture, they're kind of devalued you know, you'll have the best you know, romantic comedy of like five years or something, but it's not going to get Oscar nominations no. because it's considered, you know, but you'll get some really serious, you know, movie about, you know, death or illness and it won't really be very well executed, but because it seems important, that'll get the credibility. But, you know, I mean, something like Knocked Up, very excellent comedy, holds up really well. Um, you know, does, is that an Oscar movie? No. You know, is Leslie Mann nominated for supporting actress for it? No. no. Not that we've done Knocked Up in my series. I'm just saying comedies, <laughs> they're great. Any excuse to see them at the music box, fantastic. And Come on down. Some of the films that you've picked for this are considered not just the best of the comedy genre, but the best of film in general. We're talking about films like The Holy Grail, oh, uh, yeah. Caddyshack, His Girl, His Girl <laughs> Friday. Caddyshack was not well reviewed when it came out, by the way. <laughs> that aged a lot better. I Caddy, feel like. Yeah, his, yeah, Caddyshack is more well-regarded now than when it came out. His Girl Friday did great. We did that earlier this year in February, and I thought, oh, you know, who's going to come out to this? Yeah, who's heard those? of Howard and Hawks? I, and and I know. love that one, too. And it, it was between that and Bringing Up Baby, and I feel like Bringing Up Baby gets more props, but His Girl Friday is closer to my heart, partly because it's a journalism movie, and it just it just got that Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell on the, mm-hmm. so fast and, and – witty and cynical and and i, I don't know it, it played really great duck soup played really great too oh, absolutely. um you know whereas like there's something about mary didn't play so great people didn't really want to see it i don't know if that's because it's on cable too much or what and then when people did see it it was sort of like wait what was you know this is like a pg-13 movie people were shocked by this because that mm-hmm. set the bar so much for your quote-unquote gross-up out comedy that now when you watch when you watch there's something about mary there are like three scenes in it where you're just like oh and then there's just a lot of straight comedy stuff which I actually think is alright but it's a meandering movie and people mm-hmm. forget how long and meandering that movie is you just think about the hair gel what is your approach to re-watching 
any of these films? Is there a particular state of mind you try to get into? No, just the state of mind is like be open to watching the film the way it's supposed to be watched. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm not in general, I'm not going back and rewatching them first to make sure they're OK. Like like Harold and Maude was one. And that's not a straight comedy comedy, but it was one of my favorite movies of all time. It was probably my favorite movie of all time for a long time. And I had seen it like 10 times through college. And this is black comedy. And part of the discussion afterwards is whether it's really a comedy. And it is a comedy, but it's a black comedy. It's not a joke, joke, joke comedy like Airplane, which we'd played the previous month. And uh, Harold and Maude, I just, I'd been afraid to watch it again because I was afraid that I would somehow come around to thinking that that movie that meant so much to me really was sort of cheesy or wasn't, wasn't as good. And so I just, you know, I didn't watch it on DVD. I didn't watch it on Blu-ray or cable or anything. I watched it in the music box. Uh, you know, it, the turnout was really great and, uh, it played fantastically and I was so happy to see it. It was a 35 millimeter print. I mean, they present stuff so well there and it really was just like an, it, you know, it just reconnected me to sort of my younger self and also reconnected me to this great movie. And so I was really happy to be able to do that. Why do you think there's this kind of fear that when we go back and watch a movie that we enjoyed so much, maybe when we were younger or maybe just the first time we watched it, why is there this fear that it might not be as good as we remember it? That's a good question. I think that we're always in fear of judging ourselves in some way. And it feels better when you've sort of been consistent. But you do it with music, too. And... You know, there are bands that I really loved when I was younger, and then I got into cooler bands, and I kind of abandoned those bands, like Supertramp. And then, but then later I'd listen to Supertramp. I'm like, oh, Supertramp's all right. I, I understand why I like those. But there was a while where you sort of deny yourself why you liked something, and maybe, you know, now you're like, well, the lyrics are really, you know, not my cup of tea anymore. But the sound is really good, the melody is really good, and movies are the same way. Um, you know, you just, you just want the things that brought you joy, I guess, to keep bringing you joy. Um, you know, it's like that with food too. I remember like years later, I mean, when I was like a little kid, we see these things called space food sticks. And like years later, I remember having chocolate space food stick and I'm like, this tastes not remotely like chocolate. And it wasn't like I, I'd like really cared that much about space food sticks, but I was really stunned by how unchocolatey this chocolate thing was. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. You want to be consistent in life, I guess. And also, it's funny, too, because you see something like Airplane, and Airplane is, again, it's just it's one of everyone's, you know, there's so many people's favorite comedy, but it's just joke, joke, joke. It's not, it's the polar opposite of Harold and Maude, which is really all character and situation driven. Mm-hmm. And some of the jokes in Airplane still score. Some of them you've heard too many times, so you sort of acknowledge them. But, and, then, and then some of them you're just like, Ooh, you know, like even like the, the kid in the cockpit with the, with the, um, you know, oh my yeah, with you it's, know, with the pilot asking if he's ever seen Gladiator movies, yeah. seen a grown man naked. Yeah, it's 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 because there's been so much news about all this stuff. Even though it's it's really expertly set up and everything, there's this little part of your mind or mine at least that still went for a moment to Jerry Sandusky, and that was like, ah, why did I do that? That just killed that moment for me. And then there's other stuff in that movie that really is sort of appalling, like where they're, I, it's it's something you just forget about where. They have the flashback where they're in the Peace Corps. They go to Africa. They're teaching. They're teaching the Black Africans how to play basketball, and they're yeah. all dunking. And it's just, uh, it's just a little bit like. Well, it does. It does speak to this idea that comedy changes over time. Absolutely, and, and our and, sensibility. And it's interesting how it yeah. does. When you watch these films, uh, kind of one after another, do you kind of get a narrative of how? the American idea of humor has changed over time, like from his girl Friday getting to something like coming to America. Right. 
what what is the sense that you get in terms of uh, trends in comedy? That is a good question, and it's also hard to say because some of these, <clears throat> excuse me, some of the comedies that were that really hold up well, like like you watch something like Duck Soup, and Duck Soup is really anarchic. It's before they the, the, the Marx Brothers got much more into the narratives of. You know when they when they moved over to Columbia and Irving Thalberg, Thalberg was like, okay, you gotta you gotta have a little more of a story. So Night at the Opera is a much less crazy movie. It's very good, but it's just different. But whereas there's a lot of anti-war stuff and kind of you know it's an anarch it's anarch anarchic. I can't even talk. <laughs> uh, Duck Soup, but at the time, Duck Soup was actually the least popular of the Marx Brothers movies. And I don't know what the really popular comedy was in 1933, but it was probably something that was much more innocuous than Duck Soup. So it's part of it is sort of looking at what holds up. And, you know, there's the stuff that you're not showing that, that maybe didn't hold up and that nobody thinks about. And there are all sorts of comedies out there that just didn't work, where something like Harold and Maude, which was not a success when it came out, that has this real resonance. And the fact that audiences now, and you're talking about a really good spread of ages, are coming to see it, that that has some resonance. I think that that's really key. Um, but, yeah, a narrative would be interesting because, again, you know, something like Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which I just love and I think it's one of you know that and Spinal Tap are maybe the two most quotable movies, movies of all time. time Those yeah. two in Casablanca. I'll throw in, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, a serious one too. Um but those are very just kind of joke oriented and somehow you can sit through Holy Grail and enjoy, you know, the the Killer Bunny and the Black Knight right. even though you've seen them already. You know, Airplane felt a little more like, you know, the, of its time. It wasn't that it was of its time. It's just sort of like, it's like why you don't listen to comedy albums as much as music albums. It's like you can only hear jokes a certain number of times. And the stuff that actually got the biggest audience response at Airplane were the things where Johnny would come in and, you know, in the crazy air traffic controller and, uh, you know, Leon's getting large, I think was the biggest laugh of the whole thing. A part of it is because people don't say Leon's getting large all the time the way they do. Surely you can't be serious. Um, So, so I don't know. Yeah. And, and. And it's also interesting to kind of look at the eras of it because it's like you got your screwball era, and then we did we did Doctor Strangelove right after the election. That people did not think was a comedy at that particular moment. No, um, they were just relieved when Peter Sellers would come in as the president and start doing the phone bits because it was like, okay, we could laugh at this because all that stuff in the cockpit of the bomber was, was terrifying. just too real, a little <laughs> terrifying. Um, but you know, you don't have like. A ton. We haven't like gone back to like the fifties and and done like there are different eras. Like a lot of them has been that sort of sweet spot of the seventies, mm-hmm. and hitting those. And it seems like it might be an age thing for me, but like seventies and eighties, there's a lot of nostalgia for it. Birdcage will be the I think the second nineties movie we've done, and I'm, I'll be curious to see how it does. Because uh, again, there's something about Mary that really wasn't any nostalgia for that at all. Um, yeah, that's definitely a movie that I felt like wasn't. I mean, it it's weird because it's a there's something about Mary's a movie that a lot of people know, and they recognize it. But it's it's I believe that's the Fairley Brothers. Yeah, and it's the gross out comedy. But it didn't have anything that really stuck apart from oh, this is so a gross speak. movie. Yeah, yeah nothing that so. stuck in that movie aside from the hair gel. Um, yeah, but that movie was huge. I mean, that was like a really big. You know, Dumb and Dumber was our first movie, and they made a sequel to that. And we could have done Dumb and Dumber, but there's something about Mary was actually they did the Dumb and Dumber, then they did Kingpin, which was didn't do well at the box office, but well, has very movie, very yeah. funny parts in it. And then there's something about Mary, which was a huge hit and really did. I mean, like people, you know, some people will say the whole Judd Apatow you know series of movies that's you true. could sort of trace to that. I mean, 
they're also like the Fairly Brothers movie, the Appetite movies. They both go on kind of long. They're actually very character oriented. I mean, I I think Avatar's movies are generally smarter, but but there's something about Mary is actually. I mean, I actually thought it held up as a movie. I just think it doesn't hold up as the end to end laugh fest people think it was. I think if you could just if you could have cut back a lot of the Matt Dillon goes to Florida to stalk Cameron Diaz stuff, that would have helped. But you know, and and you you have this you know the, the mentally challenged character in there and some people were you know at the time it came out weren't sure about it but it's very affectionate it's it's sort of a sweet movie and it's and and the set pieces in that movie they really pull off and and again it i mean i remember as i was reviewing movies for the tribune back then and i had to review i reviewed that movie and then i had to review like along came polly and I could just I could list probably if I if I took the time ten movies that were directly trying you know, bad things happening to animals and bad sexual situations and they were horrible you know it's, yeah. it started all these bad you know it's like all the bad psychedelia that Sergeant Pepper launched you know it's like you don't blame <laughs> Sergeant Pepper for it and you can't blame there's something about Mary but it was really hu- influential and yet now it was it was kind of a shrug mm-hmm. and it, whereas you know there are other movies that I think. Um, you know, you would go back to it and you'd be like, oh, yeah, man, I can't believe how how influential that was. We have like an interesting – we have some interesting ones coming up after The Birdcage. Yeah, actually. what's next after and, The Birdcage? And, and, and the one two after The Birdcage is the one I've been wanting to do for a while. And it's more of a – it's more of a roll of the dice. But I feel like it should – it'll either do great or it'll do terribly. But I think it should do great. Um, but the one directly after The Birdcage on August 22nd is After Hours, the Scorsese movie. And uh, that's another one I haven't seen in a really long time. But that was you know, Scorsese is generally that funny. Like King of Comedy has comedy in it, but it's mostly just really uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, but After Hours, I remember being blown away by, and it's just Griffin Dunn going down to Soho and just ending up on this odyssey where he can't get home and, and having all these nightmarish encounters and mostly with women. And I don't know how that's going to hold up. Um, but, you know, it's Scorsese, and it's really this kind of virtuosic thing that he did quickly while he was trying to get – Last Temptation of Christ made. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm hoping that'll be one of those where people are like, oh, I haven't had a chance to see that in a long time. And uh, But then the one after that, uh, which is on September 26th, I think it is. Yeah, September 26th, is Richard Pryor Live in Concert, which okay. is, so which is the, I think he had another one, but this is the first one concert film of his that really was like released as a concert film. And it's from 1979. And Pauline Kael, when this came out, said it's the greatest of all recorded performances. Wow. And, you know, all these comedians, like when Rolling Stone did a list of the greatest concert films of all time, concert films or specials, this was number one. And it's just Richard Pryor at his hottest Richard Pryor-ish. And because we were talking about we got to do Richard Pryor and people would say, let's how about Stir Crazy or Silver Streak? And I'm like, Mm -hmm. you know. If we're going to do Richard Pryor, let's do Richard Pryor. Well, like, when's the last time you got to be in a room with an audience laughing at Richard Pryor doing his stage. uncensored yeah. stage stuff? I mean, this is what launched, you know, Eddie, I mean, Eddie Murphy saw that and started his career. You know, Chris Rock. I mean, all these guys were It's very influential. And he's the most influential stand-up comic of, you know, the last hundred years, I would say, um, if you could debate it. But whatever. Um, so that, I think, should be really cool. Yeah, that sounds fantastic because they were moving out of the – comedy like the the narrative comedy film and doing some stand-up and uh and stand-up changes over time it does it really does like and i again i haven't rewatched this yet um 
but you know, picture, people thought Richard Pryor was just the funniest thing. But but th- what he was doing was so out there, and the way he, he was so frank, and uh, you know, his language and explicitness. And now, you know, you could turn on HBO every weekend and, and see that. people who are doing, trying to do what Richard Pryor did mm-hmm. not as well. And he was also this very physical, like he really acted stuff out in this way. Um, so so I'm hoping. People will really want to see it, and and will be blown away by how fantastic it was. You know, there's a chance it will be like, oh, you know, Richard Pryor, he was okay. Oh, God. I think there, that I, I think that, that, that won't be the reaction though. No, I I can't imagine that with the reaction and with these and with these audiences. And we, you do the post screening discussion yeah. after all of these films. You don't have to stay, but it's you fun if you do. Exactly. That's I feel like that's the fun of it. If you're going to see this movie, is and you're going to ask yourself the question, you stick around and you want to have that discussion. What have been the discussions like afterward when you have these screenings? A lot of times people really stick around. I mean, like sometimes it's like most of the audience will stick around. It depends on the movie. Um, but but the, it's it's been really – the question that people people often ask, well, could this have been made today? And a lot, a lot of times they'll say, oh, this could never have been made today. Uh, yeah, it and seems like a discuss, popular refrain. And they'll discuss why. But it's, a, but it's interesting too. I mean, I mean comedies now – it's funny because like we're in the spate of this sort of set of flop summer comedies right now, and so all True. like the Hollywood Reporter and all these publications are writing their think pieces about why are these comedies not doing well? And the reason they're not doing well, I think, is because they're not considered to be good. You know, right. I don't, I didn't see one good review of the House. You no, know, so the Will Ferrell, Amy Poehler doing their thing and nobody likes it. Like, I, I'm going to run out to that. Yeah. You know? And then, oh, it's Rotten Tomatoes' fault. It's like, no, it's not Rotten Tomatoes' fault. It's yeah. the fault of people not liking your movie. You know, if you put out Trainwreck right now, it would still do well because people liked Trainwreck. Right. But people did not like these other movies. And it's strange and, because during those the early 2000s and, you know, pretty, kind of into the 2010s, you had a bit of a renaissance there with Judd Apatow, right. Adam... Uh, Sandler and, and no Adam Sandler maybe a little yeah, bit no, carryover from him. I was gonna. Um, I'm not giving him credit for that. The you know Will Adam Ferrell, McKay. Adam McKay. That's yeah, it. Adam go. McKay. They were making some really truly funny films. That sure. I mean, I think that they could probably wind up on this screening series one day oh, to yeah, go back were, and look at like Anchorman. I would love to get Judd Apatow to come and uh, for us to do Forty uh, Year Old Virgin. I think that would be fun. Yeah. It's like that it's, would be it's right as, for that. Time. That'd be about as recent as I'd want to go on it. Sure. But I do think that if you can get you know, someone like him to come in on it. But yeah, that you know, people talk about it. I mean, there's definitely debates on um, sort of sexism sometimes. Uh, you know, when we did Animal House was the first one we did. And, and there's, that's, there's that's that, a little touchy at times. Yeah, there's that, that sort of, you know, there's that, you know, what people call the date rape scene where, sure. where uh, you know, Pinto, Tom Hull says, you know, his, te- you find out later, teenage, you know, day girlfriend yeah. passes out and the devil and angel are, are debating what he should do to her and like, yeah, you know, that doesn't hold up well. And, no. and then there's a whole sort of roadhouse, you know, scene with the, you know, the black people, the black guys with their switchblades and the Negroes stole our dates. And, yeah. and that plays, you know, and part of it is that's sort of the, the comedy of them sort of seeing it that way, but it's still playing into these stereotypes. And mm-hmm. so you end up getting into debates about that. But I, I don't, I try to not have the whole thing be about political correctness, but I do think that, where the culture is and what we found funny then and what we found funny now and dis- and discussing that mm-hmm. is a really good basis for discussion. And the other thing is we, we give out ballots at the beginning of everyone. And so we have the is it still funny scale. And five is, you know, like hilarious, even better than I remembered it or imagined it down to one, you know, I Not don't understand why uh, I don't understand why anyone ever thought this was funny. <laughs> and um, so 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 that at the end of it, then I tally all this stuff up. 
and uh, old school writing them down and uh, and also people write comments and suggest other films and then you get like a score for each movie so I have like a sort of a list of like a ranking of all of them in terms of how they've scored wow. and sometimes the ranking's a little weird because it's like we did Being There for instance sure. Being There played great but sometimes they would give it like a three because they'd say this is a great movie but I just don't consider it hilarious I just consider it a thoughtful comedy mm-hmm. like I did two out Hal Ashby's that both fit in that category, which are being there in Harold and Maude, where mm-hmm. sometimes it was like, this is one of my favorite movies of all time, but I'm not sure it's a comedy. Right. Whereas, you know, again, something like Woody Allen's Sleeper, you're just going to judge that based on, I mean, there are some ideas in it, but it's mostly on how well the jokes do. And then mm-hmm. Woody Allen's Sleeper did, eh, it did okay. Yeah. Um, most of them, most of them have got scores in sort of the mid fours, and most of them people have thought were funny. Yeah. So there's something, there are, with these films, there's something that does hold up, even if not all the jokes land, there's still something that people say, you know what, this was a good comedy, even if it is, a, even if some of the things are of its time. Usually, and it's funny because like there are a few people who complain to be like, "Well, you're intentionally, you're intentionally programming comedies that that do that are still funny. So why are you even asking the question?" I'm like, "Look, I don't want to intentionally show you something that sucks. I but no. you know I want to show you something that has the potential of being still funny. Um, and so if it is, great. Uh, but I think that any excuse you have to go see these movies at the music box." You know, with an audience and great, you know, under great optimal conditions, you know, who wouldn't want to see these comedies under that those conditions? And then you can sort of assess it. But it's not meant to be an academic exercise. It's no. meant to be a joyful exercise. Right. And and you still might get get through it and go, you know, this didn't really, you know, this didn't make me laugh the way I thought it did. I mean, there was, you know, there were some reactions like that to Airplane or Holy Grail, for that matter, where, you know, maybe if you've seen the movie too many times or. You know, for whatever reason, you know, maybe it just didn't strike you as being as hilarious as yeah. you thought it was. Heck, I watched Napoleon Dynamite last week, and I consider that to be a movie that like changed my life when I was growing Did it? up. Yeah, I mean, it was the it for me it was the start of the whole bizarro comedy right. thing, and it's it still holds up. But you know, back then it was so funny to wear a, a vote for Pedro T-shirt, and now if you saw that, you'd be like, oh, "That's a little kitschy. Like that's a little dated." Yeah, we did. That's one we did on the couch at home with the girls. Yeah. And everyone thought it was all right. There, the, yeah. the thing with that movie is that there are just a few moments that are just like his attitude is so funny, mm-hmm. and um, there are just like a few very, few very funny moments in it. But then there's some stuff in there that's just like kind of like yeah, you know, the brothers' girlfriend stuff. And I don't know. Yeah. I saw that actually at Sundance, so I saw the premiere of it, oh. and it, and it played okay. Like yeah. like I did not actually anticipate that movie being a hit. Like I was no. surprised. That it, it's funny how there's some comedies that have sort of a sink in factor. Like Sundance was also where I saw the first, I think it was the first public screening of The Big Lebowski. And it was their first movie after Fargo. Fargo yeah. And so there's all this anticipation and nobody knew what it was. And so when it just sort of turns into this kind of stoner comedy, <laughs> and like the second half of it is so shaggy. That, that people really sort of thought this movie was kind of a letdown, you know, right. and and myself among them, I will admit it. I'm just like, man, you know what? What? I'm glad they had a good time smoking whatever they're smoking when they made this movie. But, you know, but then now you catch little bits of it on cable. Like, oh, that's funny. Like, OK. And then, you know, you watch it now and you're like, that's a funny movie. I get the wavelength of it now. Yeah. There's just it's it's its own thing. And, you know, Jeff Bridges should have been up for best actor for that yeah, performance. Yeah. He's, or John Goodman for supporting actor for that matter. It's a funny movie. Showed that one to the kids. Forgot about all the stuff that John Goodman yells. Um, Steve Buscemi, <laughs> maybe not the best parenting move. But much funnier the second time than the first Absolutely. time. Whereas a lot of comedies 
sometimes they're funny the first time but not the second time. Yeah, sometimes you just don't know what to make of it on that on that first viewing. I when I saw the Big Lebowski, I'm like, and this was post, you know, Big Lebowski being this cult movie, Lebowski Fest, right. everybody talking about it like this is it. This is the like stoner comedy. I totally did not get it at first. I was like, what is happening? The plot doesn't make any sense. And then you watch it again and things start to click into place. You catch more of the jokes, you understand more of what they were going for. And it seems like that's the power of reconsidering a movie is not to just throw it away, be like, you know what? I didn't like it this first time. Maybe revisit it. And it might just land with you for one reason or another. There was a great moment in Animal House. And it just sort of was it really informed that sense of how movies become funny in different ways when you see them again. And there's the scene where Stephen Bishop starts singing. He's, he's sitting on the he's sitting on the stairs of the frat house and he's singing. <laughs> but he has his acoustic guitar out and he's singing. You know, if I gave my love a cherry, whatever it All is, that. it's just really sappy. And John Belushi walks down the stairs and stops and looks at him and cocks his eyebrow. And at that moment, the whole audience roared. And the reason for that is because everyone knew he's about to take that guitar and smash it against the wall. And just bust it to pieces while Stephen Bishop cowers and then just kind of go do that shrug and go, sorry. Hilarious point in the movie. Now, when that movie came out, everyone laughs when he smashes the guitar. But when you watch the movie now, everyone laughs when he's about to smash the guitar. So there's that anticipatory, oh, this funny thing's going to happen. And he just set up the joke with that little look. And so the laugh's in a – it's just a beat earlier, but it's probably just as good of a laugh, but it's just a different laugh. Sure. The laughs change over time, but they're uh, they're still there. Um, Again, this is Mark Caro. He he does a screening series at the Music Box called Is It Still Funny? He takes these supposedly timeless comedies, puts them up to the test, and he asks everybody – is this still funny? Next one is going to be The Birdcage, directed by Mike Nichols. Uh, that's on Sunday, July 16th. Mark, where can everybody find you on the internet? You could find me on Twitter, at Mark Caro, at M-A-R-K-C-A-R-O. Uh, you could also go, there's an Is It Still Funny Facebook page, so you should like that. And uh, where else can you find me? Those are good places to find me at this point. I have a songwriting book out called Take It to the Bridge, Unlocking the Great Songs Inside You. So if you go on tothebridgebook.com, you can check that out as well. I did that with a local musician, Steve Dawson, who's fantastic. And we did it with a local design firm that did the design. They're called Thirst. It looks fantastic. It's fun if you like writing songs, but you're not not doing it because you want to make it in the business, but you want to express yourself musically. Boom. They got a book for you. But come out and see movies with us. It's really great. Thank you so come much, Come to the Music Mark. Box. Yeah, thank come you. to the Music Box. That's where and you're going to find Thank you so much for this. having me, Tom. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, great conversation. Uh, you are listening to No Coast Cinema here on WGM+. I am your host, Tom Hush. We'll be right back in just a moment. Stick around.
All right, everybody, you are back again on No Coast Cinema on WGM+. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago and all around the world. I am your host, Tom Hush. And as you probably heard earlier in the episode, Mr. Connor Cornelius is not with us this week. He is out. We miss him. We love him. But I also hate him because he is my worst enemy. Uh, We'll see him next week. He will be back. But right now, we have a fantastic co-host. Her name is Lise Graham. She does an awesome podcast called Lise FM. You can find that on SoundCloud. You got to look her up on Facebook. She is finding out the influences of so many awesome creative people and learning where all these great ideas come from. Lise, thanks again for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me, Tom. It's been super fun. Oh, yes. Lots of fun conversation. Uh, Right now, we're just going to get into our after credit sequence, our little potpourri of just talking about movies or movie culture and ways that we watch movies. Specifically here, we want to talk about streaming. So streaming is the way that many of us get our movies and TV now. It's impossible to ignore. I don't know if I've met anybody that doesn't have a Netflix account or isn't already sharing a Netflix account. It seems like Lise knows somebody okay, who doesn't have this Netflix. This is so funny because I, like I mentioned earlier, I take a class at Second City and it's like every week we watch different clips from things because we're learning about writing movies and TV and stuff. So this Thursday I had class and uh, my teacher goes, all right, who has a Netflix account? And everybody raises their hand. You know, there's like six of us in the class. We all sure. raise our hands. And he goes, okay, cool. Can someone come sign in? Because he doesn't have one. <laughs> He's never had one. He and I don't even, like, even uses any ones. I think he just uses the internet. Just like YouTube. Wink, just, wink. Yeah. Oh, you know? on the down low. On, a, on yeah, the down low. I'm like, but really? Well, okay. So Netflix, I guess, where it all started for, for me, at least stream-wise, mm-hmm. um, because my brother got it. Like right when it was like a thing, brand new, and then I've just had his password ever since. Bingo! You don't even pay for it yourself. No, You're a I freeloader. Am, no, I pay for our Spotify. Oh, okay. I, See I share that Spotify with him. that that evens out. That evens it out. Does. But there's so many streaming services: Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime. Uh, one that I use called Filmstruck. Sundance has their own film streaming service. HBO Go. HBO Go. There are add-ons such as Shutter, which is specifically horror movies. Yeah. Anime has their has two big streaming services: uh, Funimation Now and Crunchyroll. So there's a million different CISO. ways. CISO, which is oh on its God. way out. Uh, which is sad, really, because really I love everybody involved with CISO. And it's only like $4 a month, which is probably, Unfortunate. well, yeah. They just got rid of their CEO. You saw that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I did see that. But anyway. Anyway. <laughs> we've, <laughs> oh, so, well, there's so there are so many uh, streaming services that you can have, that you can add on to, that we want to figure out. Who's on our stream teams? What is our what is our dream tr- our dream stream team? Oh, okay. What do you need to have in order to be streaming the best of the best? Lise, what streaming services do you use? Well, okay, I use Netflix. Um, I'd say probably the most mm-hmm. HBO Go. We've been using a lot more too because we figured out my boyfriend's dad has it. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't even know he has it. It's because they have Xfinity, and we're like, oh hell yeah, yeah. Um, so those two are the big ones, but I just started using CISO because my brother wanted me to start watching Shrink, um, yeah. which is takes place in Chicago. Great right, show. Right. Everyone should watch it. Um, and then I guess like Amazon Prime is one that 
I always find it really frustrating, like the interface of it. Yes, so, it, it has got a terrible user interface. It's so, it's bad. so clunky. It's, it's so disorganized. Yeah. Which sucks because I'm sure there's a lot. Of, I know there's a lot of stuff on there. Like I know all of Downton Abbey's on there. So all of that, all three, all all three Indiana Jones movies. There are all only three of them. There is no fourth Oh, yes. One. We don't talk we're, about We don't talk Shia about Buff. that. Yeah. Uh, but those, all the entire Indiana Jones series is on there. Yeah, it's exclusively of, on there. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Hannibal, okay. the entire show, Hannibal with Mads Mikkelsen mm-hmm. uh, is on there. It's got a great selection. Terrible user interface. You would interface. think that they would give that some more attention. I mean, yeah. You know, I feel like I feel like they're, they're working on it and they're going to have like a big reveal in like the next six months. They have to. Sure. Otherwise, well- I guess it doesn't matter because Amazon's loaded. So yeah, they. I mean, maybe they of, don't even care. That yeah, they're going to distribute everything. They're going to distribute your movies and your Whole Foods through the same service. Yeah, so I know. That's really an your organic popcorn while you watch your uh, whatever. <laughs> is is popcorn gluten free? Yeah, right. yeah, I don't yeah, know. It is. Oh well, oh, there you go. Well, yeah, I mean it's corn. It's oh, what is gluten? If, Gluten's sidebar, in like wheat what, stuff. Okay. Yeah. All right. So. Thankfully, if you were popcorn is gluten free, unless you put for, like I don't know bread you, we, in it. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like some of my breaded popcorn? Oh, God. <laughs> it's full of gluten. It's probably a thing, oh, right? <gasps> it's def- it definitely definitely exists. is a thing. Um, but real talk, what else is there? Okay, Hulu. I don't use my i. I guess my boyfriend's family has that. We we're gonna watch something on there. What's on Hulu? Hulu's got community. Um, it does have community. It's yeah. got all of community. Even the episodes that aired on yeah, uh, even the ones that um aired on Amazon. Uh or not on Amazon, they aired on Yahoo Screen because oh, really? they bought yeah, when when season six was up in the air like um NBC wasn't gonna broadcast it, uh they they put it on Yahoo Screen. Yahoo bought the rights to show, okay. and nobody really watched it. Uh, but they have the entire series. See, They've got the Handmaid's show. Tale. Yeah, that that's right. I haven't super seen that good. Yet. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't watched all of Community either, which I know I need to. But it's like one of those things. If it was on Netflix, obviously I, I sure. would. Um, Handmaid's Tale. Tell me about that. Have you watched it? Yeah, I'm I'm in the middle of watching it. Okay. Um it is an enthralling show and it just goes to show that Netflix is not the only uh streaming service that has some serious plans for production. um yeah, for yeah. production work and putting together their own originals. Uh Hulu doesn't really have much in terms of the original movies. Their movie selection has gotten really pretty good over the last year or so. Um, they, they lost big, one of their big draws when I originally got Hulu was they had the Criterion collection. They don't anymore? No, they used to. And then Criterion went out and, uh, struck out on their own with Turner Classic Movies and they do a streaming service called Filmstruck, which I have. I have Filmstruck, which it is, you can get, you can get the basic package for, like eight dollars a month, okay, or something to that it's effect. Like a Netflix price, yeah, roughly Netflix price. As much as you use Netflix, do you think? Um, I've <laughs> I've been trying to because it's all like art movies and it's all like. I bet I'd like those, it. Yeah, it's great. If you're a big cinephile, Filmstruck is a good resource. Yeah, because you get 
access to not the entire Criterion collection, but like so much of it. So many movies that you would never see otherwise. And they also have the Turner Classic Movies archive on there where you can get through a lot of classic movies. And uh, I feel like I own that service to prove to people or something yeah. that like, oh, I like oh, yes. cinema. I'm a, I'm a cinephile. But um, I am definitely not um, – watching that as much as i probably should I, I i for me it pays for itself i watch it enough to to yeah. like justify having like it three times a month and that's like three trips to red box or something. yeah and and, and it's much... all movies that you cannot get really anywhere right. else um unless you were to buy them on from the criterion collection itself or catch them on tv yeah. which neither of us have cable Yes, you or I, I have never had cable in my entire life. Really? Not yeah, even back I'm at home? I'm one of those. My parents are hippies, so <laughs> they were like, PBS all the way. And I'm still so down with PBS. I'm, yeah, I'm super – I grew up with cable and I'm still down with PBS. Yeah. Uh, mainly because they, sh- they would show Doctor Who and um, oh, for sure. and Monty Python. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. A little bit They're of Masterpiece Theater as well. I used to watch a little Masterpiece Ooh, Theater. a little bit of that uh, but, Downton Abbey. Yeah, I was a, ca- I was a cable kid for sure. Um, really? I was very much used to having those. all those. Yeah. And I wonder if that affects um, our ability to like pay attention to TV because yeah. I definitely have a problem with that. Like sticking with one show and just watching it. Like without... watching commercials, you mean? Even, well, even if I'm watching it on Netflix. Like really? I'm making my way through Mad Men. and um, oh, Good luck. Yeah. it's. I mean it's a really good show. And we I'm... made it to the end of season two. My mom and I were watching it. And then yeah. we were just kind of like, like grossed out by like how – Women were, you know, I know it was all about the time period and stuff. Right. We just didn't want to intake that. Sure. It was just. For me, it's like there are some shows. Yeah. For me, there's some shows that I like sit down. I'm like, I'm going to watch this show. I'm going to watch The West Wing because it's it's Aaron Sorkin and, you know, Michael or Martin Sheen. And it's it's time for me to watch The West Wing. And then I like I'm just like I'll watch. Like an episode, and I'll just be like, "Oh, what?" I I get the the little blinker inside my head. Oh, what else is on? Right. But it's like if you're streaming, you can't just channel hop. Know. You know, you have to kind of commit to something. And I've had problems with that. It's kind of commitment weird. problems. Yeah. So <laughs> so your stream team Netflix. That's is that a must? You I gotta mean, have Netflix. I don't know because now I'm thinking like, what is really? What do I really watch on Netflix? The Get Down. I started watching that. Get Down. I Did watch reruns that? of Cheers. They have they have, they have the entirety of Cheers. Show. They have that seventy show. That's a big one for me. A lot of co- they have a lot of comfort shows. Yeah, like shows you can just turn on. And they just have so much. It just seems. Yeah. Like, but then, of course, okay, inevitably, when I when I want to find something like, m- you know, my dad and I want to have like a movie night. We're like, oh, we'll just get something on Netflix. We usually go to Family Video because honestly, it's like <laughs> easier to pick something out there. Wait, there's still a van- wait. Which Family Video? Where are you? Lagrange. Oh my God. Come. Check it out, bro. Bless family video. I know, right? There's something that, as we're talking about streaming, one of the problems of streaming is that uh, is indecision. That's, That's exactly that is what I was going to say. It'll refrain. take us like an hour, and then we'll just like watch 20 minutes of it and yeah. fall asleep. When That's... you exactly, and when you go to the video is store, there... it's an event. It is. You you're like this is going to be what we are this going is what to. What we watch. are committing to. I mean, I even go to the library for a lot of you know. Movies, yeah. Library is a great a great resource people that just people just forget about them. Yeah, yeah. And and it's really sad because you get people saying, "Oh, who goes to the library for anything?" And it's like, you know, not even talking about the you know thousands and thousands of adults that used it for internet access, right. free internet access. Uh, it's got a just tons of movies, yep. old movies, new movies, yeah. like 
you could anything and it's pay you're paying for it already technically exactly. like if you live in the city of chicago you are paying for this massive film library that you are not even using right um and it's all it, it always comes down to for me in streaming it's the convenience thing it oh, means that you don't sure. have to leave the house and it, it stops right you know it remembers, remembers where you left off yeah which is nice you don't have to and it's you do really find those like you find some seriously deep cuts sometimes something that you would never have picked yeah, up yeah that's true but it's just there to you what's the best thing that you've like discovered on on the streaming what's the best like movie that you like didn't know about or i would say uh i watched this movie called michael collins and it's about the Irish Civil War back back in like uh, right after World War One, huh. and it's got Liam Neeson in it. It's got Alan Rickman in it, um, and it's fantastic. Random. It, I've never heard of that. Yeah, and I never would have watched it if it wasn't. It was what was the category? Uh, just like just historical dramas, yeah. like you know, uh, and that was one that I never would have watched except it was just there and yeah. i was like oh you know what i like liam neeson oh it's about ireland i'm you know irish on one side of my family let's yeah. watch it and it was fantastic and i had a cool. great time with it but that's like so few and far between that i sit down and i'm just like i'm gonna watch this random movie and i will see how it is right because you can just click if you if you if i'm not captured usually within the first 15 to 30 minutes yeah. i just move on yeah i'm not even gonna finish it Really? Yeah, it's a nice, it's a convenient thing to have. Where yeah. it's like when you're in a movie theater, you're kind of a captive audience of sorts. You can leave, yeah, but, but you've already paid your, you know, thirteen fifty, thirteen fifty for a ticket, plus popcorn. Yeah, plus popcorn, popcorn. Plus popcorn. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Where Where do you stand? Do you rewatch movies just generally? Oh yeah, all the time. Okay, cool. I'm uh, I'm what a big. What are your like top rewatched movies? Ooh, uh, and are they on Netflix? <laughs> yeah, one of them is uh, Jurassic Park. Whenever, oh. whenever I'm feeling down or something, I just put on Jurassic Park, and uh, Steven Spielberg just takes me away. That's takes awesome. me away to a special place. And I've only seen that one time. You've only seen Jurassic Park. Oh, I've seen. And it, like, I watched it as a, an adult. For it was like last summer. I watched it for the first time. And I loved it. But good I was lord, like, I've watched. I, was like, I wonder if I would have watched it grown up watching this. It'd be such a different viewing experience. Yeah, I saw it for the first time when I was like four years old. Yeah, and I was terrified by it, but also intrigued. Yeah, and uh, sure. I really loved it. I've, man, that's crazy yeah. that I've I've visited that film so many times, and uh, just like I've I've watched it with the commentary on with the picture in picture like <laughs> oh this God. is how we made the dinosaur like you know <laughs> what about you what are what are your rewatchable movies or TV series on on streaming services Oh, I wish I wish I could like pull up a list of like I wish Netflix kept track for me um, right your most watched yeah but I'd go with. Uh, that '70s show, obviously, it's just. I like, can't. I can't get past like season five or something like that. Yeah. Like, once it gets that deep, into yeah. The I mean, show, once I Eric's gone, you know. Oh yeah, it's no. not. Uh, it's not really worth watching. Yeah, but like the early stuff's just super brilliant. Um, Wayne's World, I've seen a billion times. I'm trying to think. Like Annie Hall is Annie Hall, obviously a great one. Um, I actually watched. I watched that for the first time on a streaming services. It might really? have been Hulu. Yeah, I had never seen it, and I, you know, people constantly referenced it yeah. and talked about Annie Hall, Annie Hall, Annie Hall, Annie Hall. I was like, and and I almost didn't want to watch it for that reason. I was just like, yeah, if I try to watch this, I'm just gonna hate it. So I waited a while. And then it just happened to pop up one day. I was doing nothing, and I decided, okay, I'm going to watch Annie Hall now. Um, and it was totally worth it. Oh, such a it good was so movie. worth it. Um, and recent shows that I'm obsessed with, 
on Netflix or the recent show Love. Did you ever watch Love? I did, and I did not like it. See, yeah, not it's even either a bit. yeah, either you do or you don't. It's like totally just my. I don't know. It was just it's your taste. Just my it taste. It was just your taste. Yes, I've seen that a couple times. That's hilarious. That I hate. I I don't like Paul Rust's character, the main dude. He's yeah, so he's pretty wimpy. Oh God! Like it's it's yeah. I it's can watch. For sure. I can watch like cringy and kind of wimpy main characters, but like after a while, it gets to a point. I call it the Ted Mosby index. <laughs> like after a certain like. You know, there's seasons one through three, Ted Mosby, who you can tolerate. Yeah. And then, and for those of you out there, Ted Mosby is the t- is the main character in How I Met Your Mother, a show that I watched religiously to its questionable ending. <laughs> um, but I got the Ted Mosby index. Seasons one through three, he's he's like, you know, lost in love, but in an adorable way, and he's still funny. But after a point, once you get later seasons, and this is where this is where uh, Paul Rust's character in Love comes in, is somewhere around season seven. And I'm just like, I can't Done. watch this guy anymore. Yeah. You don't even watch the show for that character anymore. It's about everyone else. Wow. But uh, the 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 female lead, what was her name? Gillian Jacobs. Gillian Jacobs. Oh my god, she's, she's great. Yeah, that's. I mean, she's like, I love her. She's like a big part of why I watch that show. Absolutely. Um, Paul Rust, again, a comedy bang bang guy, so I'm fine with it. Um, but <laughs> Yes, that is that is our uh, thoughts on streaming. What are your favorite streaming services? Who is on your stream team? Why do you think you should have those services? And uh, what are some of the best things you've watched on streaming services? We want to know. We want to know. Hit us up on Facebook. We're facebook.com slash podcast. You can find all of our episodes there, plus we like to share articles. We like to try and start discussions about cinema. So if you want to talk cinema, please come on over to our Facebook. Check us out there. If you want to get some of our uh, beautiful episodes on iTunes, we are all up there. You can subscribe on iTunes. Please subscribe. Give us a rating. If you like the show, give us a rating up there. Or if you want to catch us on WGM+, Plus, we are on the WGM Plus app, along with a lot of other amazing shows from WGN. All you got to do is download that to your phone. And you can get NoCo Cinema anywhere. Lise, can you tell us where we can listen to Lise FM? Lise FM is SoundCloud only right now. Um, so just search Lise.fm, L-I-S-E dot F-M in SoundCloud. Or you can find the Facebook page. Just Google it and it'll it'll come up. What's what's Is there anything cool coming up next for Lise FM? Um, I'm, yeah, I'm actually going to have White Mystery on next week. Um, uh, awesome sibling duo, Chicago band with ginger hair. Yes. And Um, are you guys going to be talking a little bit about that documentary that they have coming out? Yeah. We're going to definitely talk about that, which that comes out like in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. They're Um, going to be doing a screening with, uh, Cinema Obscura, who regular listeners will know John Davies and Cinema Obscura, great friends of the show. Um, they're going to be doing a screening with them. Probably, uh, odds are at Township, um, but you can find more information about that. If you search Cinema Obscura, they'll have the Facebook event up there. You can RSVP. And definitely listen to this interview on Lease FM. Lisa is a fantastic interviewer. She's a fantastic podcaster. Check out all of her episodes. Um, she's done just so many fun things, finding out the influences. Thank you. I want to have you on there sometime. 
Oh Talk no! Talk about your top five. My top five. I don't know. Oh, Whatever you want it to be. We'll, top, yeah. My influences in broadcasting. Yeah, there Who you knows? go. Something. We'll find some influences on my life. <laughs> All right, everybody. This has been No Coast Cinema here on WGM Plus. Remember, we are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago and all around the world. It's been so much fun, Lise. We will be back next week. I will actually be gone, and uh, Connor will be here. Lise, do you think you would be able to step in again? Sure. Why not? Why not? Why not? <laughs> now I kind of know the ropes. Yeah. So next yeah. week you'll get to hear Connor and Lise, and uh, they'll be doing the show next week. I will be out. But thanks again for listening. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night.